just can't keep things straight. And sometimes, I just can't keep things on. Get a hold of yourself, Matt. So hit my music. Already did. Welcome to Keep It 2000, a joke that turned into a wrestling podcast that has revealed itself to be a psychological experiment. We are proudly part of the post-wrestling family. I am Brian Mann, and joining me is my fellow test subject, Nate Milton. Nate, you know what? We've kept things pretty civil during this experiment of ours, but um, i got to confront you about something. What were you doing in David Flair's locker room? See, there are things that are that are for the air, Brian Mann, and there are things that, you know, you got to keep personal, and I don't appreciate you putting my personal business out here on Front Street. Listen, man, I just, sometimes that's the way to get the, the most honest answer out of you. Uh, I mean, I, we're, we are all about honesty. We are all about keeping it 100, as it were, up here on a satellite of hate. Of course, the universe's favorite interracial, cross-generational pop culture podcast devoted to the brilliance of Vincent James Russo. But again, Brian, man, what, what is between me and David Flair and, and, and possibly Miss Hancock, I don't know. Is is it stays in the locker room somewhere? Okay, well, listen. If you're if you're inviting people into the relationship, I'm gonna go ahead and invite someone into here uh, as well. Uh, joining us this week, uh, he is the host of many a podcast, including the He Man Woman Haters Club. But more importantly, he and I make up two thirds of the TRL Shield. Mouse Jones is with us. <laughs> What's going on? What's going on? Peace, peace, God, peace. So, 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 hold on, hold on. You, you just can't throw a bomb like that out there in the open, Brian, and not <laughs> expect any follow-ups. Who do, who do you think you are, Mr. Trump? Uh, <laughs> if, if you if you were the TRL Shield, who is Roman Reigns? Who is Seth Rollins? Because I assume neither one of you are Dean Ambrose. Well, I'm Roman. You were Roman. Um, Brian was Seth. I guess I was Seth. And the other, yeah. our, our good brother Nick, he was definitely a Dean. He was he, definitely Dean. Ambrose. He was definitely a Dean. <laughs> Plus, I mean, I was the guy that ultimately broke us up. So I, <laughs> I'm, I'm Seth. <laughs> he turned on us. He did. Straight <laughs> to the back. Well, Mouse, we got to thank you first off making time for uh, both the show and watching this episode of Nitro. Yeah, that's, um, that was the rough part. <laughs> Showing up was the easy part. Making it through that, uh, make, making through that two-hour ordeal, that was bad. Now you're from Long Island. You're from New York. Mm-hmm. You're WWF country. Yeah. Um, what What was your wrestling viewership like in the year 2000? I and mean, did you ever check in with uh, Nitro ever, so, or were you strictly so the re- Fed? So wrestling viewership for me was a little rough because, uh, like, just point blank, we were broke. Yeah. I didn't have um I didn't have cable until the towers went down. Mm-hmm. So I would only be able to catch Shotgun on okay. Saturday nights, and that's how I would catch up on Raw. Mm-hmm. And then I would only and then SmackDown, of course, because it was right. on it was on UPN. And then like if I was able to get to my cousin's house, he would tape all the Raw. So I'd be able to okay. catch up on Raws. Like I'd be able to catch on like a month worth of Raws on like a mm-hmm. Saturday or a Sunday. 
But um, and then WCW had a show on UPN on like Saturdays. It yeah, was like a it was like a shotgun. It was like a recap show, mm-hmm. and that that would be the extent of WCW. Now, did you get TBS up here as part of Basic Cable, or was that on a higher? Uh in two thousand one, we got cable. I had TBS. Okay, yeah, TBS in. So you missed out on Thunder. Yeah, I missed well. out on Thunder. By the time we got cable, yeah. Yeah, by the time we got cable, raw, yes, uh, invasion had invasion was about to start. Gotcha, gotcha. So, then was the invasion your first actual, like, sort of introduction to any WCW? Uh, no, 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 because I had seen um Bash at the Beach. Okay. When I I'd seen that um when uh. When the NWO started, mm-hmm. and then you know, just being in school, everybody would like let you know. Oh, W! Like there was kids that wouldn't watch WWF, right? And would only watch WCW, mm-hmm. and vice versa. So that was like how I kept up, like yeah. arguing with the kids on the playground. Like, man, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> DX is way better. Um, but that would be the like extent of it. I never yeah. sat down. It, when when I would try and sit down, and it and it really shone through yesterday as a dealt watching it. The styles are two completely different styles. Yes. It, it was a it was a it was a lot harder to keep up with WCW. Everything <laughs> was coming at you at once. There was t- storytelling during yeah. matches was non existent. It mm-hmm. was it was very much so up to the uh the announcers right. to tell you what was going on in the match because mm-hmm. you wouldn't know that. Right. Like you, oh my god, this is so important. But it doesn't look that important <laughs> exactly. in, during the match. So, like with WWF, it's perfect. It was story. Mm-hmm. Like I got everything I needed from one match. I knew right. what was going on. Open, shut, closed by the end of that match. Mm-hmm. Storyline, everything. Right. So yeah, WCW was a lot. No, it's a lot to take in, and I know that for Nate and I, because we both from Atlanta, grew up on on WCW, and we're able I guess we just what do you think, Nate? I feel like you and I just speak the language of WCW, so we understand. <laughs> you got the Hawks, uh, you got you got the Falcons. Um, I, I got a hockey team that don't do too well down there, so I'm yeah, y'all sure <laughs> with the losers. <laughs> hey, hey, the Braves got their one championship ring. I'm almost I'm a ride with that. And that was and that was you guys winning the ratings battle in '96. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the Braves, the Braves were up for just a, a little second. Um, so, no, Brian, I, I think that when you talk about WCW, yes, there was a language of NWA before that and then WCW. But when you get to this point in 2000 where we keep switching back and forth between creative teams and you got Russo, you got Kevin Sullivan, now you got Terry Taylor, it's the same language, but it's a very different dialect. Like, it, it's, it's like we all speak English in America, but going to Long Island might be a completely different experience than, you know, somebody coming out to Roanoke. Well, I'll actually say, having spent both a Thanksgiving on Long Island and a Thanksgiving in Virginia, they're they're not that different. Um, so we, we know we, we know where Mouse was at in the year two thousand. Um, let's uh, take a pause uh, before we get into this nitro. Let's see where the music charts were at. And Mouse, I know you got a lot of venom wait, waiting for this nitro, but you might storm out as soon as I tell you what the number one album in America was. Wait, I can tell you, I'm eleven. Yeah, I'm eleven. Super in the hip hop. Eminem had the number one album in yep. 2000, right? The day of this episode, in the middle of an eight-week reign, Eminem's Marshall Mathers LP yeah, was the number yeah, one I album in America. That. I didn't hate Eminem yet. You didn't hate him yet? I, I didn't. I wasn't a fan, but I didn't hate him. I had this album. Yeah? I ordered this album from um, BMG. Okay. Like I got like 11 CDs for like mm-hmm. one cent. Oh. <laughs> BMG was yeah. the best. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was finessing. I was a young finesse. I had like 
38 CDs underneath different names. Well, when did the turn uh, come for you? Because I think the album after this, the, right after this. Right well, after. I think well the Eminem show. I feel like is a better. No, that's when that's when that's when he lost you. That's when he lost me because it was like it was too gimmicky. Okay. And also it was like how many times are you gonna kill your mother? How many times are you gonna <laughs> rape your wife? Like I'm, how many right. times? It just it just gets old. You get tired. You're, you're you gonna, get tired of doing you're gonna, it. You're gonna, you're gonna chafe after a while. So it's gonna be uncomfortable at some point. And I, I was done hearing it. This was to me. This was. I, I might have to agree with Mouse. Like I, I think I enjoyed the next uh, CD as well. But this was kind of like the last angry Eminem, where it felt genuine. Whereas yes. the anger on later albums felt kind of like he was trapped into this character that he had to be. Uh, but I really, I really remember liking uh, the way I am, uh, mm-hmm. uh, real Slim Shady, of course, and then uh, uh, Stan, like Stan the song, and then the video, and then uh, him and Elton John at the at the Grammys or whatever. Like that, that, that song still hits. Yeah, he has he has some he has some like real yeah rap real fire rap songs in the Marshall Mathers LP. So well, I mean, I got I'm a little surprised. I didn't know there's a time period where you ever. Like, I didn't dislike him. It's not that I liked him. Yeah, it's kind of like I am with J. Cole. Gotcha. Like I, I acknowledge he's, it's, he, like I acknowledge he's a yeah. very skilled rapper. I acknowledge and I pay attention to the good stuff he does. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me about J. Cole, I'm not gonna pay. Not even when he was doing one dollar concerts was yeah. I gonna spend a dollar wow. to go see J. Cole. <laughs> Hold on, oh, come on, man. Don't you know J. Cole went triple platinum with no features, fam? That's a lie. There is a feature on that album. <laughs> That's a lie. He did. He 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 likes to say that he didn't. He didn't credit the mm-hmm. feature, but there's a singing feature on that album, and I just can't remember. But that to me, that that's my favorite J Cole album. Yeah. Um, I love Friday Night Lights. I love yeah. the warm up. Yeah. I, and then I like um, I didn't like the first album. Sec, it's Born Center. I like. Um, and then Four Zero Drop. That's mm-hmm. his. That's his. You know, magnum opus. And yeah. But I'm not a fan. You will right. never catch me saying I'm a J Cole fan. Same way I was Eminem. Like yeah. And this was like. 2000 was like super young hip hop me like mm-hmm. I'm studying everything from the late 80s early 90s mm-hmm. finding what I like about hip hop um pause I'm falling in love with Jay at the time like Jay Z is like I'm like yo I know I've been hearing this since 96 but I'm 11 now this one's like, really grown and it's like <laughs> yeah no there was no I'm 11 now these things it, these, yeah, these things matter <laughs> like yeah I got my first fight I get exactly what he meant on coming to age everybody gotta die now like yeah I get it. But with Eminem, it was the exact opposite. It was like yeah. right after the Marshall Mathers LP, it was done. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm, I'm over this guy. And I think I think because Jay Z actually like he has a lot of themes that come up on every project he does, but he does evolve. I'm also from New York, so it's kind of like I, I'm I'm in the I'm in the part where it's like, are you crazy? You don't like Jay Z? You'll get beat up. <laughs> See, with him, to me, like he he hit a peak, and then I don't want to go as far as to say the man coasted because he still put in work. But I don't think he ever evolved from that peak. No, that's that's the perfect way to put it. He coasted. Mm-hmm. Like he hit that peak and then he coasted on what he did prior. Yeah. So everything he would he he became the boy bands that he said he hated. Yeah. He like Backstreet Boy the situation. Mm-hmm. Like Backstreet Boys peaked. Well he became a he became a product, you know, and you and you see it now with the the, the dyed beard and the yeah. and everything. He, he looks like yo, he looks like Mark Echo now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I was—I gotta say—I'm a little surprised that you have even a single nice thing to say about Eminem because I was—I <laughs> here's the thing—I had a gotcha question in my back pocket. I was gonna ask you who's contributed more to the world of hip hop, Eminem or Bow Wow? Bow Wow. Wow. Okay. Bow wow. 
Bow wow. wow. I just wanted to see. I just wanted to get Nate's reaction. Yeah, uh, Bow Understand something. Bow Wow is another guy that I'm not a fan of, but I respect the work he's done within this hip hop. Bow Wow has sold out Madison Square Garden. I'm not sure Eminem has. I'm not mm. sure he might have. Pretty sure he has. But Bow Wow also did it before he was 15 years old, mm-hmm. and multiple mm-hmm. times. He's Mr. 106 and Park. You, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> like, Bow Wow's a legend. You know what I mean? Like, he was he had the black card and he was only 18. Yeah. Like, this is this is Bow Wow, Prince of the Old Town. Brian, man, I'm going to say something. This might be a hot take, but I, I'll take Roll Bounce over 8 Mile. No, nah, that's definitely a hot take. Yeah, I... <laughs> Roll Bounce to me is a more enjoyable movie than 8 Mile. Here goes the thing. I can see where he's coming from now. Yeah. I can see where he's coming from. And the only part that makes me lean heavier in the mm-hmm. eight mile is the battle scenes. Yeah. yeah. If you take out those battle yeah. scenes, mm-hmm. I would take roll bounce over eight mile. Okay. What about roll bounce ATL? Come on, don't do this. Come <laughs> on, it's not even a, it's not even a hard decision. ATL is ATL might be is silently one of the greatest movies ever made. ATL is slept on. ATL had I never been to ATL until I was like twenty five. Mm-hmm. I knew everything about ATL. Knew everything about I knew everything about Atlanta just because of ATL. I was like, I got to Atlanta like, yo, where's Cascades? They're like, it's <laughs> I'm like, I need to go. Where does Rashad live? I need to know where Nunu lives. Man, I, I went to Atlanta for the first time in two years uh, a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago. And it, uh, that place has changed a lot just from when I lived there. Yeah. But uh, you know what? The wait has lasted long enough. Let's go ahead and get into this week's Nitro. Do you want to see your girlfriend again? Where's Aja? You gotta listen to the voices in your head, Dale. The show begins with all the highlights from last week's Thunder, Vampiro kidnapping Asia, David Flair's two-timing, the debut of a dancing tank Abbott. Mm-hmm. This video then ended with Ernest Miller proclaiming that ratings are going through the roof. <laughs> they weren't. Uh, the show starts outside where, in a limo, the cat talks over tonight's show with his chauffeur, the former ice train M.I. Smooth. I, I don't think this pairing lasts very long, Nate, but I, I like the chemistry of these two guys. There was some good chemistry there. Yeah. You know, uh, we were just talking about ATL, and, and I think, uh, to me, M.I. Smooth, he, again, this might be a hot take, but he he's, he has some of those big boy <laughs> tendencies, like the laid back coolness, the the, the, the the swag, if you will, like M.I. Smooth slash Ice Train. I was just happy to see him get a check, man, because he was somebody that I always felt was underutilized in WCW. Like, he wasn't yeah. a great wrestler, but there was something there that you could take advantage of, and, and him and the cat playing off of each other. Uh, it works for me. Yeah, I mean, this might... Another bold take. Um, I think this guy might have been able to save Harlem Heat 2000. <laughs> I think that guy playing off Stevie Ray could have been really good. No no offense to our, our departed big team. Are you saying we take out we take out Ahmed Johnson and we put in MMI Smooth? I would definitely take out Big Cash, is who I would, uh, I would eliminate. Yeah. Uh, we go into the arena where Commissioner Cat comes out. Miller promises a big show with big ratings, a promise that he would not keep. The Cat announces a four, corners, a, a four corners match tonight for the world title. Jarrett's opponents will be determined by a series of qualifying matches throughout the evening, Kevin Nash versus Mike Awesome, and Scott Steiner versus the franchise. However, Goldberg does not have to qualify and is getting a bye. Before we go on with this promo, I just want to take a, a pause. Uh, what did you think of uh, Ernest Miller? Was this your first cat? exposure to him? No, I, okay. I had seen him like throughout, throughout okay. the, um, you know, just the annals of being a, a mm-hmm. wrestling fan. You'd see him, and I'd be like, when, when did they? I think the first time I seen him like probably two or three years ago. Yeah. Um, like just I was in like a YouTube mm-hmm. rabbit hole, and was like, they had a black commission. Like, 
I thought I thought I really thought mm-hmm. Teddy was the first black commissioner. No, no. So I look him up and I'm like, oh, I like this guy. Okay. Like, yeah. He he's trash on the mic. His promo and I think that was just a WCW thing. Okay. And I don't I, I terrible promos. Like, I mean, those no, are fighting words around here. We both love I'm Ernest so, Miller. I'm sorry. I, I didn't have any issue with okay. him. It was that promo that was just really <laughs> bad, mm-hmm. and it lasted longer than it should have. Right. It felt like a Baron Corbin <laughs> promo. It was like, hey, no, you could have chopped this down. I mean, better hairline from, from Ernest, but... I don't know. That wasn't a good hairline. That wasn't. <laughs> As a black man, I know a good hairline <laughs> on another black man, and... Believe me, there was a reason why that thing was uh, bleach blonde. <laughs> he he kind of looked like Chavo when he was a... Uh, Kervin White? Kervin White. That's what he looked like. <laughs> he doesn't sell. like mm-hmm. He doesn't sell words. Like, this certain, he's, that match, especially like when he... I think there was a point where he... I guess he was like showing his love for the franchise. Right. And he was like, he might kick his ass. I'm like, he might. Yeah. <laughs> if this is the guy you're going with... <laughs> Yeah, it just didn't make say, a declarative statement. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't like that promo. It was terrible. But uh, I like. You know what I noticed that episode? It, yeah. Every t- everybody was like, "Yo, cut my music," and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "I'm like, there was no." There's, there's no director in the truck. No, they have to take cues from the performers. They didn't shoot 360. <laughs> no. I, I think, uh, you know, Brian, you and I are, are fans of, of the cat on, on this program. Uh, but, you know, it's a good to see Mouse's perspective, you know, coming in as as an outsider uh, on, on one Ernest Miller. Because I think we kind of get used to his promo style. And I, I guess if you step back and look at the content, the content, yeah, it's it's not the best. But I think what gets Ernest over is on a show where you can tell a lot of people are phoning it in. Ernest Miller isn't one of those dudes. Ernest Miller is going out there and and he's he's trying he's he's trying with his yeah. material uh, to get it over and to get it across. So I I thought that you know he did what he was there to do. The only thing that still makes me laugh every time he comes out though is the uh, WWE Network dub of his music because it it takes me out of uh, wh- whatever segment he's in for a second before I'm like okay yeah it's the WWE. It Network. sounds like a Nokia fucking ringtone. Yeah. Oh, so that wasn't his music. No, no, he came out to this like this James Brown ripoff that just sounds a little too much like the real thing. So ah, okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Also, oh, they give him the Undertaker treatment. They give him American Badass treatment. Yeah, they did yeah, exactly that. Oh, sorry to hear that. Well, uh, and also uh, to Jeff Jarrett because Jeff Jarrett was coming out to a Kid Rock yeah. song at the time. <laughs> he was coming out to a rip off of Cowboy, and it's not on the. Did Jeff? Uh, I think I might have. I think I might have went to the bathroom during Jeff Jarrett's <laughs> entrance. I, if you've seen him one, you once you've seen him all. <laughs> Just then, a 4th of July parade interrupted Ernest Miller, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes out dressed in a jumpsuit. <laughs> Duggan says he's been sitting in the back long enough, and he's tired of watching them play with people's lives, and it's time for him to stand up. Duggan asks what Cat did to Goldberg, because Goldberg is now half the man he used to be. The Cat responds by saying that he hates rednecks, and Duggan is the biggest one in the world. Duggan then responds by starting a USA chant, which is exactly what a redneck would do. Cat <laughs> then books Duggan against Goldberg tonight. Duggan says a man's got to do what a man's got to do and accepts the challenge. Duggan tells the cat to explain to Bischoff and Russo why the WCW title is going to go around his waist. Um, we're trying real hard to make Goldberg a heel, so why not have him beat up an old man? Um, I, I liked Miller as always, but Duggan's shtick was really old by this point. I like that. I was, yeah. yeah. I, like, I, like, I like when old... It, it, that... 
to me, always felt real yeah. growing up. That's why I didn't realize wrestling was fake until mm-hmm. I was 17. Because the older guys would come out and still do their shtick. Yeah. So I'm like, it, you know, it gives you some like type of yeah. pride in what you grew up watching. So Duggan, that was the same Duggan I remember seeing in the WWF for a period of gotcha. time. Um, the same Duggan I would see like when he, like Duggan was like, to me, who I thought the wrestler was uh, in that Mickey Rourke movie. Yeah. Because I would see him like do these little small house shows mm-hmm. in Deer Park in, on Long Island, but then also see him on WWF, yeah. knowing he's in WCW. So that I did like that part, mm-hmm. like where he didn't try and like up, he didn't try Ultimate Warrior yeah. and you know update himself to yeah. the year two thousand. It well, was- it's funny you bring up uh, the wrestler. Do you know who plays the wrestler that Mickey Rourke faces in the end of that movie? It's, it's uh, Duggan. It's Ernest Miller. <laughs> he plays the Ayatollah. Yeah. Oh, a little bit of a crossover there. Mm-hmm. I like that movie. I love that movie. That's a good movie. Yeah, I I gotta go with Mouse on this one, man. I have never been a Jim Duggan fan. Like even in Hacksaw Jim Duggan's prime, he wasn't the dude that I was like, yeah, that's that's my guy. Like I was always mm-hmm. angry when Jim Duggan came on my screen on the on WWF TV because I'm like, <laughs> this is TV time. We could have been given a Coco Beware or Tito Santana. Uh, one of these brothers is not getting a lot of publicity, you know, and so Jim Duggan was never my cup of tea. But playing that old man angle, uh, we've seen that angle trotted out a couple times this year uh, with Terry Funk and with Arn Anderson on this program. And I think the highest praise I can give Jim Duggan is I think he was better than Terry Funk, not quite at that Arn Anderson level, but I was surprised oh, yeah, yeah. by how good this uh, promo was by Duggan. Like I, I actually bought into what he was saying. Yeah. Well, and we also keep saying old man Duggan. Um, how old do you guys think he was here? Um, he looked 60, so he had to be like 38. <laughs> uh, I was going to say like 49. Hacksaw Jim Duggan on this episode is two years younger than Triple H is now. Wow. Two years he young. was 46. Yeah, see, I told wow. you. White, yeah, white people, y'all be aging bad. <laughs> so I knew, so I knew whatever age he, whatever age he looked, I knew yeah. that'd be at least ten years less. And and listen, this was also seven years before the WWE would sign him to a full time contract. <laughs> he was working a full time house schedule between 2006 and 2008. Um, wow. In the back, Vampiro cuts a Bray Wyatt promo from a mysterious foggy pit. He then challenges the demon and Asia to come meet him, but never reveals where he is. So good luck figuring that out. Del Torborg and Asia are shown watching on a monitor. Torborg says he's going to end this tonight. Elsewhere, Shane Douglas is shown arriving late to work, and referee Mark Johnson shows him tonight's card. Douglas is pissed that he's facing Steiner. Apparently has no interest that he could get a world title shot. He's just upset he's facing Scott Steiner. Somewhere else in the building, Positively Canyon is at a book signing for his fake autobiography. Uh, No one has shown up, though. He's totally stealing Virgil's gimmick. Canyon then attempts to give one of the books to a security guard for free, but he isn't interested. So he's had a lot of back-to-back segments there. Um, some good, some bad. We're laying a lot of groundwork. But um, I got to say, I, I I was a fan of the Canyon arc that we're going to get uh, on this show. Uh, maybe because I haven't watched yeah. the enti- it in its entirety. It just didn't. Didn't mean anything to me. They're yeah. just there. It, it, especially with a whole bunch of like back to back big necks. I'm like, Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, like how much ring time are you gonna get? <laughs> no, no, they, they stay busy in the back. Yeah, big, exactly. It was like, oh, over here. And I'm like, how big is this arena? <laughs> this is some pre-tapes going on. That's always my favorite part of any nitro episode is that first commercial break where we get the endless string of backstage vignettes. So it's like, this is what you've deemed important for us to track tonight. 
I, I am I continue to be underwhelmed by the Vampiro story. Uh, although I did have like a moment where I laughed uh, at Asia's acting because when she <laughs> when she was telling Dale to stop, it reminded me of you know when Kevin Hart does an impression of a, of a woman. He's like, no, no, Dale, don't do it, no. And I was like, I I don't know if I can get into this angle. But uh, when we switched over to the Canyon stuff, I'm a big fan of, of Positively Canyon slash Champagne Canyon. Uh, so I was intrigued where this was going. Like, I had forgotten this vignette all these years later. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. See, see where it goes. I trust Canyon. We go to the arena where a jobber tag team is already in the ring. This jobber tag team is Mark Jindrick <laughs> and Sean O'Hare. Their opponents are the filthy animals. Conan does his standard Conan promo with Disco playing Hype Man. Um, wrestling this match for the animals are Hoovy and Ray, both giving up about a foot to Sean and Mark. The match starts with Hoovy and O'Hare. Jindrick gets in and he slams Hoovy but misses an Asahi moonsault. Ray and Hoovy then both go for drop kicks on Jindrick, but he moves out of the way and the two men end up in a scissoring position. That's really the only way you can describe it. Um, Jindrak then tags O'Hare and hits a double clothesline from the top. Ray gets tossed to the floor, and Jindrak hits Hubi with a tilt-a-whirl slam. O'Hare then comes off the top of the Swanton Bomb, and the Power Plant Jobbers actually get the surprise win. Uh, after the match, the animals beat up on the upset victors until Lance Storm makes another surprise appearance and clears the ring. Um, I gotta say, I think everyone in this match actually looked pretty solid, and I thought it was a fun, shocking way to debut a new team. I, this is my favorite Ray. Yeah. Now this is maskless I, Ray. Maskless Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, when he and I remember like when he first when he used to have the horns on the side of the head. Yep. And um, they used to always wrestle on that um that Saturday program mm-hmm. I would watch, which is why I remember uh, yeah. maskless Ray. This was my favorite Ray, but this boy. What if this is how he he, could, he had returned to the Rumble? They played the Filthy Animals music. He came out the, I, the baggy I, pants. I already popped when he came out with yeah. the with the WC, with the uh, ECW. Get oh, he looked right. Yeah, and in, in great shape. Mm-hmm. I, I already popped then because he had he was looking like uh he was looking like Super Mario for a while. <laughs> he was looking a little soft. Yeah, he was looking very Mario esque like. So when he came back looking like ECW, where I was like, yes, they're really mm-hmm. back. Um, but yeah, this this match should just. That was that match sucked. <laughs> that match sucked it, from a technical standpoint. I, I'm just sorry, as a WWE guy. Yeah, that would never. I mean, our Jin- sloppiest match would not look like that. I mean, I, I, I gotta say, you back to some Attitude Era like '97 matches. You got the oddities. You got the headbangers. We're I don't know if they're much. 2000. Oh no, 2000. This WWF is what I'm at, at, at their, No, this would not have cut this over there. This would not have happened. Like just sloppy ring work. Mm-hmm. Um, guys looking like they don't know how to run the ropes. Yeah. Um, and they even said they'd only been in the power plant for six months at this point. Yeah, but that was a thing. That, yeah. that, they, that was a lie. I know you guys weren't at the power plant. You guys were somewhere else before. You guys wrestled before. Um, and this was, they did a terrible job of setting up who's the heel here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jindrak and, and, and O'Hare, they, they look and built and moving around the ring like heels. Mm-hmm. But I think the Filthy Animals are supposed to be the heels or this before you can, I think almost every single match on the show. Everyone was a heel. Like there's very few clear cut baby. Well, they, I mean, they were company. all heels to me because this this is should not be on my TV. But I get it. Man, I, I always liked Jen Dragon O'Hare, and I thought that I don't know if they got called up before their time, but they they to me had something that was there. Um, I, and I, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, 
uh, Mark Jindrak especially is somebody that I'm like, damn, he could, he could have been something because he was big, he was athletic, and for fans of uh, PlayStation 2 basketball games, he was one of the bosses <laughs> on a game called Street Hoops, I believe. And that was yes, that was I do, that yes. was the and yes. one mixtape game with like hot sauce and the professor, yes. Uh, yes. Escalade, all those great players. And one of the unlockable characters was Mark Jindrak for some damn reason. And yes, it was for that reason. Mark Jindrak is, is is good in my book. I think Jindrak played ball for. Uh, I think somehow, some way, he had played ball on the and one mixtape. Don't remember how or where. I think from where I don't remember where he went to college at, but that's how. Yeah. Mark Jindrak was a bull. Yeah, I would have rather watch that than this match. I would have rather watch Mark Jindrak <laughs> out there with, with hot sauce and had a little announcer. Mark Jindrak, oh baby, rather watch off the easy. <laughs> rather watch that than this particular match. Backstage, the cat tells the filthy animals to find Lance Storm. Elsewhere, Duggan is shown getting ready in the back when his wife comes in and tries to plead with him to reconsider this match. Um, okay, I gotta steal Nateism for a second here. I'm calling a flag on the play. Why is Duggan's wife here? Does she not allow him to leave the house alone? Wasn't this an impromptu match? Did she just want a free trip to Des Moines? Uh, So Duggan refuses to back down. Uh, Logic aside, I actually thought this was a pretty sweet moment between Duggan and his wife, even though it made no sense for her to be there. That uh, another another time where I'm like, why are these white people on my TV? <laughs> well, I was watching on my phone, so why are these white yeah. people on my phone? Uh, that I did not like. I was like, get at it. Why are you here? She, and then she looks like, yeah. I'm from Long Island. They also she, have the same haircut. Exactly. That's what I was getting at. She has lunch lady haircut. <laughs> like, that's the lunch aid haircut on Long Island. Like, all the lunch aides at that time mm-hmm. had that really sprayed <laughs> updo, whatever yeah. that shit, a lot of hairspray used. <laughs> And she had the she had the uh, she had the I'm going to the uh, bar yeah um leather pants so it was very uncomfortable to watch <laughs> and the acting was just terrible. No, what do you do? <laughs> what about the girls? I'm like fuck them kids, man. Go home, them kids. I don't want to hear this shit. <laughs> it was funny because before we uh, got on the mics today, Brian had hit me up and he's like, uh, "Is Mrs. Duggan on the road every week?" And I'm like, I didn't even realize Jim was on the road every week. Like. So <laughs> to go to this place where we've got this Jim Duggan storyline, like I'm going to give it credit for trying to lay something out and, and you know, giving us updates in, the, in that sense. The narrative was there. Uh, but, like, I don't know if Jim Duggan is a dude you should be investing a, a night of storytelling worth uh, in, in 2000. Like, in, in the year 2000, I don't think Jim Duggan was a priority. Like, this role could have been given to some of the younger talent, like a Booker T or somebody else you're trying to get over. Well, I th- I don't think they did a good job. I don't think, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like they did any storytelling. No, it didn't I, seem like it until, yeah. once again, like I said, that's my biggest gripe with it, mm-hmm. was I didn't know how important this was supposed to be, yeah. how pivotal of a moment this was supposed to be yeah. for Goldberg and his character well, I, I until do think the that match. For... Because they're really trying hard to get this guy over as a heel, and it's just not working. And I think that as a heel angle, you know, when we get to the end, we'll talk about it. But I, I think that what they did tonight was a it was a good way to get heat. I just don't think that you know it's it's interesting watching this failed uh, heel turn because we can compare it to what would happen to Austin a year later, and how like with Austin they had Austin beat up Jim Ross because you know like hey that'll get and it's like but it just felt weird and fake and forced, and that's kind of how this felt, and, you know. 
you know, we'll talk about it, the match when we get there. But I, I think that it was effective, but not necessarily the best guy to do it with. Um, hardcore champ Big Vito comes to the ring, and we get highlights of his recent victories. Vito says that he is the best WCW hardcore champion that ever lived, which honestly might be true when you look at this belt's lineage. Vito then offers... What was the black guy's name? Leonard? Who? I, what, was the guy, what was the black guy name that like kept sneaking? Norman Smiley? Norman Smiley. <laughs> Leonard Smiley. Smiley? Norman Smiley is the best WCW hardcore champion ever. Vito then offers an open challenge for the hardcore belt. The challenge is then answered by Jamie Son of the Young Dragons. Vito batters Jamie's son with a kendo stick to start. Jimmy Yang then runs to the ring, and he gets nailed with the stick. Kaz Hayashi then runs down, and he lands a springboard missile dropkick onto Vito. The Young Dragons then beat down on Vito with a series of high-fly moves before all three men hit the guillotine leg drop onto him. They then pin Vito and count their own pinfall. This was not considered an official match, so there was no title change. The announcers call it uh, the second straight upset of the night. This was really fucking dumb. I have no idea who this was meant to get over. Uh, Jamie Noble. Like, well, that's like, are we getting behind the Young Dragons here? I mean, it made Vito like a total fucking idiot, especially afterwards. Like, look how impressive and how dominating this guy is. And then this is the, I just, I didn't understand what they would even think they were achieving with well, this. Well, I've always been a fan of like the, I've always been a fan of the multiple guy beat down on one guy. Yeah. Because to me, it always made that guy look stronger. Mm -hmm. The more guys you had to take me down, yeah. it looks, it makes me look stronger. So looking at that, number one, once again, sloppy, sloppy ring work, mm -hmm. and especially for a bunch of cruiserweights to like be flying around that sloppy, to me, it, like as an adult, I'm like, yo, you, you you're putting your life on the line. You're putting this guy's life on the line. Back mm -hmm. then, I probably would have just been like, oh, this looks stupid. <laughs> but, now, you know, as a, as a fan of the product, I'm like, wow, you, you were taking these chances for what? Like, I felt bad. Right? Yeah. Like, these guys are doing sloppy t uh, sloppy bumps, and this could have ended their career. Yeah. Thank God it didn't, and they, you know, went on to have careers. I'm not yeah. going to say long or successful. Jamie Noble still. Yeah, Jamie Noble still, still has a, a job. A Jamie Wang is somewhere. Yeah. Um. I haven't seen the other guy. I mean, Cass Hayashi was incredible uh, at this time period, but they just they didn't know how to how to use him. That's unfortunately, story of WCW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, for me, it's always good to see Cass Hayashi, just because I was I, I was a big Cass Hayashi fan back in in 2000, and it's like, damn, this is a dude you could have done so much more with. But the thing that got on my nerves was they made a point, and I think it was Scott Hudson who made a point when Beto was mm -hmm. coming to the ring to get into this diatribe about the stickball bat. And, and how he won all these stickball championships uh, when he was back in New York City. And then the weapon he uses when we get to the match is not the aforementioned stickball bat. It's the kendo stick, which anybody can use. Like, I thought they missed the opportunity if, they, if they're trying to get this stickball bat over, uh, which I don't know if that was the intention. Uh, but they, they missed the opportunity for that. Uh, in, in my personal record book, I disagree with you, Brian Mann. Uh, Kaz Hayashi is now our hardcore champion. Uh like, I don't know why this was the match. Of all the matches we've seen on WCW in the year 2000, this hardcore match is the one where there's such sticklers for the rules. Like, oh, there's no referee. Yeah. Uh, this, this doesn't count. Well, we've seen countless interference spots and countless weapon spots and all these other matches. So in my record book, Cass Hayashi is the hardcore champ. Well, that's the thing. Like, if, if you're just going to let this... I, mean, I didn't understand why this wasn't a thing where just, like, Bam Bam Bigelow announced it. And we could just give Vito a win. Like, especially if you look at the segment that came right after yeah. it. Making Vito look like a fool didn't help us at all. And the Young Dragon... Like, we're not going to get a Young Dragon's Vito program out of this. Uh, I did like 
I did like the uh, the mention of this. That was my favorite part of this match was yeah. when Vito was coming down and it was talking like, about stickball. They were like stickball, and he won <laughs> back in the day of stat. And I, I like whatever uh, uh, fascination the WCW WWE creative team has with Italians, <laughs> Staten Island. Like that's the only place. That's the only place they're ever from. Carmella's from Staten Island. Uh, 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 yeah, you would have you would have loved uh, what was it, Brian? Like six or seven months ago, when they had the whole night built around the Italian wedding. Yeah, yeah. Well, they did they did a nitro from the Nassau Coliseum, and uh, I the, think I remember the whole Marinara family was there for a uh, for a wedding. Marinara. Jesus Christ. So, uh, in the locker room, Terry Funk has created a rather unsettling mannequin that has. Big Vito's face on it, mm-hmm. and he's using it to coach Johnny the Bull. Johnny gets ready to hit this sex doll with a chair, but <laughs> Funk hits him in the back with a chair. Funk then explains that this has been a lesson to watch your back. Um, you guys watch more sports than me. Is this a typical coaching tactic? Uh, not getting hit in the back of the head with a chair, but I mean, <laughs> if, if we're looking... For the metaphorical watch your back with being told, yeah, like yeah. I, I remember like um being in basketball practices mm-hmm. and you know not sitting and not sitting enough in the defense and your coach pushing you and be like, see, yeah. now you if you would have fell you would have looked up. So we yeah. don't think that the uh, the Golden State Warriors show up to practice and there's like a real doll with LeBron James' face <laughs> like plastered. <laughs> the thing in 2018, I do believe there is a LeBron mannequin uh, just running at Steph Curry every time he takes a shot. I do believe this. I do believe this, but this is probably the best segment of the night. Also, yeah, this was the segment that like made me laugh and mm-hmm. gave me some type of good feeling about what I'm watching. This was my favorite. This was my favorite segment of the night. <laughs> wow, and, and maybe like a, a bit of an Easter egg because the Vito mannequin, like you said, it was kind of like a sex doll thing, and it was wearing women's clothing, and and maybe that was the impetus. Yeah, some WWE writer saw this and was like, you know what? That dude would look good in a dress, and that's how we got Vito, the toughest man to ever wear a skirt. <laughs> We're gonna have to ask Andrew about that. See if that if this is where he got the idea. Uh, for the second week in a row, tag champs the perfect event invade the production truck. The director flees the truck, and the two just start pushing random buttons. Outside the building, the franchise approaches M.I. Smooth and asks for a ride from the arena. Apparently, M.I. Smooth is, he's yeah. like, uh, he's like uh, Idris Elba in uh, Thor. He's the only <laughs> one people come and go from, from the arena. He's the overseer. <laughs> so Smooth reminds him that he has a title shot tonight, but Douglas doesn't have any interest in hanging around. However, Smooth offers a plan and whispers it into Douglas's ear. I really like this smooth character. I, I yeah. the the more smooth, the better. I honestly think. I hope they've used him more. Um, I don't. I, outside of you guys inviting me back, I don't think I'll watch another <laughs> Nitro on my own accord. But uh, I do hope they used him mm-hmm. at least until because what that at this point, what there's only a few more months before the acquisition, right? Uh, we still have about eight months because okay. this is uh, June and then March of the next year. Okay, is yeah. So I hope down. they used him as much as they could because. I really did like that interaction between him and the yeah. cat earlier. I like anytime I seen him on screen, I was like, "Okay, he's not the token black guy." Like you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like he was, he had, yeah. all, he's somebody I could relate to as a black person, but it wasn't like crime time or something. Like yeah. that. he was just cool. Yeah, he was cool. I mean, and he played a part. Well, I think in this, you know, is a bigger point. But I think uh, despite you know. Um, the, the racial lawsuits brought against this company and Buff Bagwell's, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, some, some of his activities uh, behind the scenes. I honestly think that WCW was on the whole better with black characters than WWF was. 
only because they get no. I'm gonna say no. They're on the same accord. Yeah. If I'm only gonna be harder on WCW because they failed. Yeah. Like overall, um, but they did put the title. They put their big championship on on, on Booker. Booker T. Yep. Five times. Mm-hmm. Um, and WWE has yet to do that. So yeah. I will give them that over that, but. Um, yeah, but we're talking about Am I Smooth, and like this is 2000, and WWE is doing Crime Time eight years after this. Fair. Yeah. But in their defense, mm-hmm. the G Unit was very prevalent. <laughs> just like everybody in Queens. <laughs> Crime Times seem, if they didn't speak, yeah. I would believe Chad and JTG because they looked like they were from Queens. Like mm-hmm. they dressed really bad. And they were amazing athletes, too, because I, I don't know if you wore a pair of Tims, but <laughs> it's very hard to do a missile dropkick in a pair of Tims, man. Is it easier in uh, in single sole, though? Wouldn't know. Never owned a pair of single sole Tims. Death to anyone who owned single sole Tims. That is a terrible thing. The culture deserves better. Um, but, what, but, but, Nate, what do you think about that, that, uh, that thesis, I guess? Uh, well, I, honestly, I think... WCW slash the NWA, because, you know, let's not forget also, besides Booker, we had Ron Simmons uh, win the world title as well. So I think WCW, to me, always felt like a company that even if they didn't like people of color, they hung out and they spent time with people of color. Like, they knew people of color. Whereas with the WWE, and particularly when I'm talking about about Vince Vince McMahon in, in particular, like, I don't know how many people of color Vince McMahon hangs out with, so we get a lot more character caricatures and and stereotypes i think in the wwe than we did in wcw true and i think the contracts were different too Mm -hmm. right like these guys coming in with i I know a lot talking to like people after the fact i know a lot of people were even if they were black white a lot of guys were coming in with some type of creative control Mm -hmm. in their contract in wcw Mm -hmm. so that goes into it right like Smooth, it, like MIC didn't sound to me once like he. Everything he said felt like something my uncle would have said. Yeah. Like I had he remind. That's exactly who he reminded me of. Mm-hmm. I have uncles that would act just like him. So it was like, like this guy seems real. Yeah, and the the E just nope. Yeah, they just overly scripted. No, yeah. Just, yeah, really bad. Yeah, we, we never saw M.I. Smooth uh, pull a Brodus Clay and say, I was born to shuck and jack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brodus. Uh, oh, Brodus. Elsewhere, the animals continue their hunt for Lance Storm. In the trainer's room, the franchise is faking an ankle injury, uh, and then the cat and M.I. Smooth enter as the cat demands Shane to still wrestle tonight. Douglas is able to convince the cat, though, to replace him with Buff Bagwell. The cat leaves, and Douglas then gives Smooth a couple hundred dollars. So this is M.I. Smooth's plan. Mm-hmm. Um, good for him getting getting some money out of it. Uh, but at the same time, like, I get the chain, like... Scott Steiner is such a huge threat, but at the same time, Shane's putting his rival in a position to possibly get a world title shot, which feels a little suspect to me. I mean, once again, the the, the match storytelling is terrible. So, like, this goes to it goes to my point about yeah. everything because at least with the E, you would know. You would get it, right? You would yeah. see matches. Matches would make sense. There would mm-hmm. be storytelling. You would. It would be like, not a brawn, but okay, let's say a Baron Corbin. Yeah. You would put your enemy, if, if you're 
Well, no. I mean, you have two weeks. You could recover in two weeks. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they kept saying, oh, 13 days. So you would put your worst enemy Mm -hmm. in a match with Baron Corbin 13 days before your match. Because in the storytelling of the match, Mm -hmm. he's going to be slammed and he's going to be, there's going to be some cheating going on. He's going to pick you up. He's going to pick apart a specific body part. There's going to be some big, powerful moves. As to where you get Buff and Scott Steiner, uh, I don't know if we, we want to talk about this right now, but you know it, that match read very friendly. Number one, yeah. um, Buff looked good in most of that match. If we're talking about technically, that was probably the best match of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and Steiner didn't look at all to be the overpowering big pop of punk. Yeah, like he just looked like a regular guy. So that, it, yeah. I agree, it didn't make any sense in that. Yeah, it could have, but in that, it didn't. My big thing here is the Shane Douglas character. Like, every week he continues to, this version of him in WCW, it continues to underwhelm me. And I don't know how much ECW you watched back in the day, Mouse, but if you look at that character that was so confident and so cocky and so over the top and you compare him to this guy, it's like night and day because there is nothing about this presentation of Shane Douglas that, like, even if he was in the match, like, you're going to get killed by Scott Steiner because you're not presented as a top dude. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is like lower than mid card. Mm-hmm. Like this is this isn't the guy I remember seeing throw the championship in the garbage. Yeah, um, you know the night that ECW made the turn and cut that amazing promo. That's not the guy. That's not the guy. This is a this is a shell. This is a reboot. Yeah, this is a reboot of the franchise that I was not a fan of for one night. Uh, backstage, a pissed off Tank Abbott takes a seat in front of a monitor for the next segment. In the arena, Three Count enters the ring to perform their new song. Yes, I said Three Count performs, and we actually got to see it. Nate, unlike their previous songs, the WWE Network actually has the rights to this one, so we got our first Three Count performance on the network. Uh, was it as good as you remember it? I, I mean, I don't know. It it, it was no uh, it was no Marshall Mathers LP. Uh, <laughs> But I thought, like, I've forgotten uh, most of these these performances, uh, both due to time passing and also uh, them not being on the network. So it was it was good. It was good to see one of these because I, I thought there was something there with these three guys. Like, they all were decent in-ring competitors, and they had something there. But again, like most people in this company, they got shoehorned and pigeonholed into this one spot as a mid-card comedy team. Uh, so in, in the long run, I think there was a lot more you could have done with Three Count. That record was fire. That record was fire. The Three Count record? That Three Count record was fire. The dance steps, fire. The only th- problem I had was Old Boys Cornrows. <laughs> I forgot. Evan Courageous had the- I'm not a fan of any white people with cornrows. Just not, just not my thing. But uh, every time I see Evan Courageous, he reminds me of Alicia Silverstone from Clueless. <laughs> so we cut backstage where UFC fighter Tank Abbott is shown dancing, killing any sort of drawing potential this guy could have had. Keep in mind he was paid six hundred fifty thousand dollars this year. Three counts music starts cutting out, and Tank gets angry. The director from earlier walks up and blames the issue on the perfect event and leads Tank into the uh, into the production truck. Tank then single-handedly drags the tam- the tag champions to the ring and forces them to give three count a title match on the spot. The bell rings. Okay, hold up, hold up, yeah. hold up, hold up, hold up. A lot I happens play, here, Brian. so anytime yeah. you got it, you got a timeout. I understand. Yeah, flag on the play. So, are we to believe, in the context of this television program, for the last 15, 20 minutes? Chuck Palumbo, 
and Sean Stasiak have been directing this, <laughs> just this show. Just flawlessly calling shots that in the truck. Believe? <laughs> hey, as bad that as that. was their master plan when they got to the arena that night. As, as bad as that product was, I would believe it. <laughs> as bad as that product was that night, I would believe that Sean Stasiak and uh, Chuck Palumbo were running that show. <laughs> and it looked very weak for... First of all, if if me and Brian are in, if we're the tag champs, mm-hmm. and I don't care how tough this guy is, if he comes and grabs Brian by yeah. his hair, and then I and just I'm, follow, and I'm just sitting there like, come on, are you serious? Like <laughs> he's he's dragging you by your belt, like you are holding one championship belt and he's holding the other, and you're going to, I would have beat the living dog shit out of <laughs> Tank Abbott on the way to that ring. It's crazy how strongly they booked Tank Abbott in this segment, considering that they've decided to give up all hope on him. And Tank Abbott was dressed like Rick Steiner. That well, they were a tag team last week. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, makes sense. Uh, so the bell rings, and there's just no heat from the crowd at all, because both of these teams are heels. Perfect event starts off in sl- with slams and then goes to the floor to celebrate. More and Helms then come off the top turnbuckles with stereo mm-hmm. dives. Back in the ring, Stasiak hits a powerbomb on Helms. Palumbo tags in and lands a flying shoulder block. On commentary, Scott Hudson explains that three count train for a dance routine, Not which is very different than training for a wrestling match. Tony then explains that the perfect event showed up tonight just expecting to goof off in the truck, so neither of these teams are prepared for the match. More than hits a Frankensteiner on Stasiak, Helms and hits a frog splash, but the referee is distracted. This allows Palumbo to come in with the Lex Flexor and attack Helms. The champs then hit the double flapjack for the win. Um, you know, glass half full. I gotta say, this was still probably the easiest match. Uh, the this is probably the best match we've seen from the perfect event. But I credit that to their opponents. Oh uh, yeah, I was just happy that match was over. <laughs> I was sitting there, like, I was waiting for it, and, and to yeah. see a young Shannon Moore. Because, mm-hmm. like, my introduction to Shannon Moore was uh, Matt Hardy. Yeah, the MFers, yeah. And then, um, I mean, but Gregory Helms, obviously, as a... As, mm-hmm. as another a, Royal Rumble participant Another Royal Rumble participant. But, yeah, him as the Hurricane. Mm-hmm. So, I have great fond memories of him. So, to see where they started, yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't need to know where they started. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I enjoyed the record, though. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that record. Well, of course, Evan Courageous now uh, has his own line of hair care products. For real? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's who they sold. That's who they sold Shea Moisture to. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and they would think uh, Not a fan of this match. I, I'm not a fan of the the perfect event. Like I think there's, I guess there's something there, but putting two guys that are really really green. It's, it's the blind leading the blind. With, with, with yeah, you, neither of these has it. With uh, Jen Drake and O'Hare, like we saw that earlier, like it's. There needs to be some veteran leadership on on either one of these teams. And so when you've got Palumbo and, and Stasiak and the most over thing about them is a weapon that they stole from Lex Luger like three months ago. Yeah. I don't I don't know why they're all there on my screen, but uh to Mouse's point, three count for me is very much like the young dragons. It's like I mean, you can see that these guys had something there. Uh it just wasn't always utilized effectively. But I will say Putting them with Tank Abbott was probably the best thing that WCW ever did for them until we get the uh, solo Shane Helms run and he's coming out to the the uh, ODB Vertebreaker song yeah. and he's got the dancers with him, the Sugar Babies. Like the other than that, this is the best use of Shane Helms and his company. So after the match, Chronic comes out to a pretty big pop and takes out the champs. Their music continues over this beatdown, New Jack style. 
As Chronic <laughs> leaves, Shane Helms gets on the match and says to cut their music so that Three Count can perform. As Chronic heads back to the ring, Tank Abbott appears and knocks out Chronic, both of them, by himself. So our monster tag team was just eliminated one on two by a comedy act. This segment finally ends with Tank and Three Count dancing up the aisle. All of this fucking sucked. Uh, I don't know. And, and what's so crazy, we're just talking about how these, the, the, these, a lot of these tag teams just don't work. Perfect yeah. Event doesn't work. Uh, Jindrick and O'Hare doesn't work. Chronic was working at this point. Okay. And these were two guys that, yeah, probably couldn't go. Uh, they were never really good wrestlers by themselves, uh, Adam Bomb and Crush. But you put them together here, and you make them this powerful tag team, and they're just murdering people, and the crowd's responding to it. Right. And to have Tank Abbott knock both of them out just for the simple blocking of being able to get to the comedy of dancing, uh, yeah, I, I, top to bottom, I really hated everything about yeah, this segment. you literally could have let Crush walk back up the mat. Let him leave. Just let him walk let away. let the guys dance. Yep. Because what was weird to me was when he hit, uh, I think one guy was in the ring. Yeah, I think. Tank Abbott stops the other guy from getting in the ring. Mm-hmm. He lays him down with that punch. But then... Main event, like, walks by Tank Abbott. <laughs> and he just pays them no mind. Like, you're Tank Abbott. You should be hitting that, knocking out everybody for mm-hmm. ruining yeah. your song. But, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, this, I was just happy this was over. <laughs> yeah, Nate, how do you feel about this post-match? Honestly, it was the best part of the match. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, the moment where we get, I think it was, uh, I think it was Brian Clark that they held up. And he just got that one punch. That might have been the, the most effective-looking punch Tank Abbott's thrown in his entire WCW tenure. Because I I didn't believe it earlier it was, in, it was the, the best punch of the night. Uh, but the the way he just knocked my man out, it was like the only thing missing was a cameo by Chris Tucker. Uh, you know, <laughs> just ro- rolling up on him. You got knocked the fuck out. <laughs> it was really the best punch of the night, honestly. Well, Tank Abbott got the knockout of the night bonus uh, at the end. Oh, of okay. this. Well, he deserved it. He deserved it. <laughs> Backstage, Hoovy is looking for Storm when he gets hit on the head Scooby-Doo style by a mysterious man off screen. <laughs> Back to the Positively Canyon book signing where a long line has now formed. However, it is revealed that Canyon has roped all these people in with free drink tickets. We then get a video detailing Hacksaw Jim Duggan's battle with cancer in 1998 and his return a year later. Uh... This is actually a pretty good video. You no, know, it's just it there. Wasn't. I, I mean, it, no, it was for not. the time, for this, no. you also got to take, you, you got to take, in, uh, you got to take in consideration. This video was edited together in thirty minutes, presumably by the perfect event. So put all that <laughs> Chuck into. Palumbo. Chuck Palumbo was on the avid putting this together. <laughs> Shout out to Chuck Palumbo. I apologize. And that you put it in perspective for me. It's a pretty good job by Chuck Palumbo. But no, that was terrible. That was terrible. It, I, I almost felt bad for laughing. <laughs> I didn't did not laugh, but I felt bad a little bit because I'm like, well, does he really have cancer? Did he have cancer? He did, he did. Then I Googled him, like, oh, he did have cancer, which made it a little more funnier to me because <laughs> it was like, he returned rather quickly. Yeah. Like, this, the way they packaged it, it was like, oh, okay, wow, this happened in 98. So I'm not expecting him to come back till like 2000. You're like, so oh, this like, is his first time yeah, back. Yeah, it's still like six months later he's back, and I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. And then you don't hear from, And then it literally said 1999. Then we're here in the year 2000. <laughs> oh, this is the next time we use Jim Duggan is right now. Yeah, it, it's strange that, like, if you want to kind of exploit this dude's real-life story for the purposes of your show, why wouldn't you have done it when he first made his return instead of using it now to try to get heat on Goldberg, which isn't going to work? Duggan comes out, and he is followed by the cat who bans Hacksaw, who ban Hacksaw's 2x4 from the ring. 
Duggan refuses at first, but then he hands it over to the ref. The crowd chants USA for the, for the cancer survivor, but instantly turns on him when Goldberg's music hits. This guy still gets the biggest pop on the show, even as a heel. These two start by trading punches, and Duggan actually gets the upper hand for a little bit. Goldberg then comes back with a running clothesline. He then attacks Duggan's kidney. Du- uh, uh, he's, he's... Yeah, <laughs> I guess. I guess that's what it was supposed to be. This was... Oh, my God. I hate... I'm so glad we're talking about this because I hated everything about this match. Well, we'll get to the... So Duggan reverses a whip and he slams Goldberg. Duggan then signals for the running tackle, but Goldberg pops up. Goldberg spears Duggan and this crowd pops huge as the announcers beg the ref to end the match. We then get the jackhammer for the pin. After the bell, Goldberg beats on Duggan's kidney until Duggan begins coughing up blood. Goldberg leaves as EMT has come to the ring. Duggan's wife runs out and cries next to Hacksaw. Um, this was a big angle made to make Goldberg just look like a total piece of shit. Uh, uh, my favorite part was when you could see the referee very clearly putting the blood capsule into Jim Duggan's mouth <laughs> after the match. Um, but yeah, those were kind of my thoughts, but I can tell, Mouse, you've, you're, you're sitting on something over there. This was fucking terrible. <laughs> This was everything I have been talking about. I'm watching a match, and this was literally the pontifices of, like, terrible storytelling in the match. Mm-hmm. The ref is telling... I mean, the, the announcers are t- telling a story. And by the way, Tony Schiavone's voice, annoying. Matt Madden, I wanted to hang myself hearing him speak. I was like, shut up. But he... But he like, they were telling me... Mm-hmm. How important this match is supposed to be, how pivotal this is supposed yeah. to be, and and Goldberg's turn. They call they're they're making sure they they call him Soldberg. Yeah, oh, and that's why people call him Soldberg now. And just <laughs> oh my god, to watch Bill Goldberg move around that ring is like painful. <laughs> it's like plucking your eyelashes yeah. out one by one because I'm like, what the f- somebody like people are popping mm-hmm. for this. And I'm literally like, WWF is right up the street. There's a there's a way mm-hmm. better product, guys. Let's go. I mean, like this is fucking great. I mean, I, I was. I mean, Those I think punches Goldberg, to the kidney. Are you kidding me? I, Goldberg's punches were never very good, but I think Goldberg, especially now trying to be a heel, when he's best at being worked over, hitting four really big moves, yeah. and that being it. Yeah. But now, all of a sudden, we're in a position where he's supposed to be carrying the matches, yeah. and he's supposed to be the one on the uh, uh, the offensive. And yeah, just there's so many psychological reasons why this turn spear, is not a good idea. Let me tell you about that being the worst spear I've ever seen in this match. Or when he hits that spear. Mm-hmm. And the he has that spear, and Tony Schiavone's like, and it, and it got a lot of the kidney. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically aiming for the kidney. Yeah, like, spear. okay, I see what you're saying here. Like, Shut up. Oh, my God, I hated this match. I hate it. This gets a zero out of zero. <laughs> if on Mets, this would be a zero star on Mets' list. <laughs> like, this is terrible. Uh, there's a couple things here, fellas. Like, number one, is that is that how... The, the human body works like if I <laughs> if if I continue to punch you in the kidney like are you gonna spit up blood? No, you're gonna, you're if I spit blood, you in the kidney, spit it up. Mm-hmm. That's what he should have done. They yeah. should have start peeing uh, blood <laughs> in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> like ah, that's not the I, way the excretory system works. Just you know, I'm a high school dropout, but I know that's not the way. <laughs> The kidney works. You start coughing up shit from your kidney, you're dead. And then this should be long-term booking where, like, maybe Goldberg starts, like, showing up at his dialysis and stuff. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> 
like in a in a vacuum, this type of story could work. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a couple things. Like a, I didn't care about Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Like now the show got me to care a little bit more about Jim Duggan through the course of it. But still, like I started at a zero level of concern for Jim Duggan, and they, you know, they didn't get me to a ten. They got me to maybe a three or four. But Jim Duggan is not the sacrificial lamb that's going to get me to hate Bill Goldberg. And I think the crowd had the similar reaction. Like Goldberg, it's a spot he never should have been put in mm-hmm. due to his limitations and due to what the fans were going to be willing to buy at the time. So it was a bad spot. I think Duggan got way too much offense for my liking. Uh, and then you got Bill Goldberg having to sell for this this dude who I thought was 50, but apparently he's only like 45. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Bill Goldberg having to sell for Hacksaw Jim Duggan in the year 2000 shouldn't have happened. Like, he should have got that opening flurry and then all Goldberg. Like, yeah. I didn't need the slam. I didn't need, you know, Duggan going on the offensive. Uh, but then the, the post-match stuff, I will give them credit that they – that they tried to let it breathe and they tried to give it some weight, which is something that we don't often get a lot of times uh, in, the, in the Russo era of WCW where it's, you know, something happens and then we're on to the next thing before you have a chance to process what you just watched. So at least they gave it a little bit of, of weight with the with the announcers and with uh, the, the backstage scene we'll see a little bit later. Maybe you guys could tell me, why was everything so rushed with WCW? Like, why was that? Like, this well, I mean, story back could work watch, over, like, three... If you gave me a yeah. three-weeks hump and then a bash at the beach, or oh, I don't know what your... Yeah. Mid, I don't know what you guys' mid-card level uh, pay-per-views mm-hmm. were at the time, but, like, give me this over two to three weeks. Yeah. Give me the the payoff at, well, the, I think uh, part of the, at the pay-per-view. Part of the problem uh, that, that they were having, especially at this time, is they brought over Vince Russo and Ed okay. Ferrara, and they wanted to keep that Crash TV format that was really working over in WWE. Because if you if you watch WWE from 98, 99, they're going just this fast. And yeah, they're right. doing a lot of shit backstage. But they know how to properly do it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Russo and Ferrar come over. Uh, for starters, their production team just doesn't know how to work okay. uh, in this style. And also, no one's really cracking the whip to make sure that people are, you know, mm-hmm. doing their, you know, because everyone's got to be on the same page to make something like that work. And now you got where we're at right now where, Vince Russo's left, so people that aren't even Vince Russo are trying to do that format. So I think that's why there's so much happening. It's yeah, so okay. fast, so fast, so I'm fast. Like, this if you would have gave me two- plus this show had been a three hour show. Well, if I'm, uh, if I'm, until six months before this, if I'm watching, if I'm if I'm watching, you know, mm-hmm. there's a big if because you know I, I'm not I'm not a ma- masochist. I, yeah. when you're watching, you're gonna go home and watch. You're gonna watch Bash at the Beach <laughs> tonight. Right, right. But like I'm saying, like if I was watching back then, I would have wanted to see mm-hmm. that story because now this happens, and then I'm guessing there's no more Duggan. The week after that. Uh, yeah, I don't think he shows up again for uh, a month or two this months. This is what maybe. I'm saying. Yeah. I would have cared about this over a month. Yeah. Maybe the first week I wouldn't have cared. Mm-hmm. Well, I would have yeah. cared. The promo yeah. would have made me care. Well, this definitely felt like one of those things that all the writers said, okay, what can we do this week to get heat on Goldberg? And Because everything with it all started and ended on this episode. Exactly. Versus even if they had just said maybe last week, hey, we want to do this next week. And they'd had Duggan return last week, you know. Yeah. So just and then that would that would have made sense for his that would have made sense for his wife to show up then because he would have made mm-hmm. the announcement on week one. His wife comes to the arena week two. Right. You know, yeah. you can't do this, Jim. You know, I, I I can't support us both on my lunch lady salary. Uh, you know, you <laughs> <laughs> you've got kids to think of, and then you know the the following week is when. <laughs> 
<laughs> following week is when we get dug in and go break in an actual match. So, yeah, I think if they had given it more time to breathe and more time for the, for the fans who anticipated and actually want it, mm-hmm. it would have come across better. Yeah. In the locker room, some mid-carders react disgustedly to the previous match. Can I, before we, that yeah. was the other part that pissed me the fuck off. Yeah. Like, who were those guys? Those, it was a was weird. Like five guys, and they were like, oh, Goldberg. There was Lash LaRue not in his uh, Corporal Cajun getup. There was Mike Sanders, who has not debuted on TV yet. I think one of the Young Dragons. This, it was, yeah. yeah, it was a Young Dragon. Yeah. It was a Young Dragon. I think it was Jamie Noble, matter of fact, with the little mask. Yep. And this was, te- that was the worst part about it. That's when I, it came back from that commercial yeah. break, and I was like, what? Like, shut up. Yeah. Like, like maybe someone we care about. It's, it's right. Could, it has to be, be somebody right. I have yeah. to believe can beat him or that I at least like. Yeah. It was like, with, and then that was a very small locker room. And from what I remember, WCW, you guys had a shit ton of guys. You could well, have, this was, they were starting to be a little more budget conscious and they were bringing fewer and fewer people to TV. Because okay. no, there was a period of time where they were bringing like 100 people to TV every week. Because it was literally, <laughs> that was how many people was in NWO. Yep. Right. Uh, in uh, in the back, the EMTs load Duggan into an ambulance as Nash watches. Big Kev says this shit has to stop. Our next match is the second qualifying match: Mike Awesome versus Kevin Nash. On commentary, Hudson explains that this is the serious Kevin Nash and not the shows up late to the arena Kevin Nash. Thanks for the <laughs> distinction. These two lock up and Nash. Uh, these two lock up and Awesome gets a headlock that Nash counters with a leg drop. We then go uh, to the corner for some punches and knee lifts. Awesome tries a German suplex, but Nash elbows his way out. Awesome then hits a running clothesline, goes up top, and nails a flying clothesline for a two. Awesome then hits a frog splash, again for a two. Awesome goes for a power bump, but Nash back body drops him. Awesome brings a chair in the ring, throws the chair at Nash, who catches it, throws it back at Awesome, and boots it into his face <laughs> for the win. Very much a, a Eddie Guerrero spot uh, from Kevin Nash there. Um... But, yeah, I mean, it's it's a real shame the way that Mike Awesome has been used this uh, whole year. Uh, it was a real year. shame that that match took place. Yes. Kevin Nash <laughs> was terrible. And this was the, these two actually shot a big angle, like, months ago, and this never paid it off. This was... Well, this wasn't yeah. a payoff, yeah. I'll tell you that. This was not, this was, this was two and a half minutes. This was fucking bad. This yeah. was terrible. This was supposed to be angry Kevin Nash. This was dedicated Kevin Nash. He's, was, not, he's not joking. He's not coming out with fucking uh, cough syrup uh, or anything like that. <laughs> Because there was a there's a nitro from '99 where he is just high on cough syrup the entire night and he's joking. He was about on it. lean. Yeah, he invented lean. He he <laughs> literally he and um he and Scott Hall are like in the front row with white like styrofoam cups what? talking about cough syrup. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, this was terrible. This was another one. This is just another match. It's yep. just terrible. No storytelling. Um, terrible spots. Like there's <laughs> no. Like, did these guys not know they were on TV? <laughs> um, Nash, all the money you're getting, mm-hmm. the 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 weight you had. This was really fucking bad. Yeah. Uh, I remember there being a, a, a spot in the corner mm-hmm. where uh, where Nash is giving the uh, the old clothesline, yep. and it just looked bad. Yeah, it just looked really bad. And to go to you and Nate's point earlier about you know the uh, the disqual what should have been disqualified, mm-hmm. what should have been real. Nash kicked his face in with yeah, a chair. Yeah, there's a straight-up chair that, shot That's a there. disqualification. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a hardcore match, though. Yeah. Uh, this, again, goes to show the lack of care when it comes to some of these people. Because even though this match was a nothing match, you can still see, like, flashes with Mike Awesome. You're like, this this dude should be something in this company. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is post his uh, uh, ECW yeah. run, right? Yeah, he, they paid a lot yeah. of money, actually, to get him to come 
to WCW while he was still ECW champion. Okay. Yeah, and then up to this point, we've seen him involved in meaningless angles with Terry Funk. He's been a bodyguard of sorts for Kimberly Page. He's you know in this nothing match, and and pretty soon he'll be a a fat chick thriller. So uh, he's got that to look forward to. Uh, it's an actual damn gimmick they gave Mike Awesome. But the other thing I thought about watching this match, and it kind of ties into the Hacksaw Jim Duggan story, is why couldn't they have let this mini tournament breathe? Why couldn't, you know, instead of getting all the qualifying matches tonight, why not space it out? And I'm not somebody that wants to watch Thunder. Not then, not now, not ever. But <laughs> why not put one of these matches on Thunder? Right. I mean, I will say I liked that this gave somewhat of a form and structure to the show. Um, I mean, I would have appreciated if at least one of these matches had a surprise outcome. It's crazy how much the heels pretend that they're stacking the deck against the baby faces, but the baby faces just always prevail. Um, yeah, and we'll even get to it later. Like, the deck is really stacked against Jeff Jarrett <laughs> here, uh, and at no point does he ever seem like... Oh, Jeff Jarrett was a baby face? Yeah. No, Jeff Jarrett was a heel. Oh. Yeah. Um, like, he and... Miller apparently working together, but you never get Jeff that. Jeff Jarrett is ostensibly the top heel. He yeah. is the champion. He is the leader of the new blood, and yeah, he's booked uh, uh, quite terribly. Okay, some because they said that last night. Can somebody yeah. explain the new blood to me? I also, I'm going to go on. Nate, I think the new blood's over. Like they're still saying it. No, sometime. they were still saying they're it. They're saying it, and but I people, didn't get it. People aren't wearing the shirts. No, like we're not even. We're not getting the uh, the the blood coming from the ceiling. We're not nope. getting the the uh, R and B security. So yeah, it feels like they're a group in name only. Yeah, that was yeah that that that, that man that match was, that match really sucked. We go backstage where Tigress finds Rey Mysterio Jr. who has also been attacked. Elsewhere, Conan is in the catering area yes. looking for Lance Storm. But what really caught my eye, I don't know if it did for you guys, was the WCW Nitro ice sculpture that was sitting on display. This <laughs> yeah, company yeah. really knew how to waste money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and their food didn't look too good. It's been, a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, uh, catering was a bag of popcorn. A garbage bag of popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> on a folding table. Yeah, no, this was bad. Yeah. And I... <laughs> Conan looking, and I'm a huge coach. I yeah. was a fan of Conan. I liked mm-hmm. him when he went over to uh, TNA. But him, like, ripping those, t- like, that just gave it away. Like, how do you know he's under there? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? You got to look. You got to look. So, yeah. But this was really fun. I, I, I will give uh, I will give Conan some credit, though, because he he worked his hardest to, to uh, you know, get the spirit of Chevy Chase. With, with that pratfall, because I was like, come on, Conan. Like, that to me made me laugh out loud seeing the arguably the coolest dude in this group just look like an idiot for, for no reason. Like, I like why, why are you falling? I didn't, like, this 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 thing where uh, they each have to kind of play against an enemy that's not really there, because we never really see Landstorm. I'm just really glad that WCW is over. I'm so glad. It's time for our final qualifying match. Bagwell versus Steiner in a battle of the gassed up fuckboys. <laughs> Buff starts with his trademark posing, but Steiner just flips him off. Probably the best spot Buff Bagwell's ever been involved with. Yes. These two lock up and Steiner forces Buff into the corner. Buff gets whipped into the corner, but floats over to avoid Steiner. Buff then hits a neckbreaker and calls for the blockbuster. Bagwell lands a splash for a two. Steiner then comes back with a T-bone suplex. Steiner goes for the Steiner recliner, but Buff counters. Bagwell hits a Buff blockbuster, but Steiner kicks out at two. 
Buff then begins to argue with the referee, allowing Steiner to hit a belly-to-belly -belly suplex for the win. After the match, the babyfaces do the respect handshake, and they hug. The franchise then attacks Buff from behind, but Steiner runs him off. Buff doesn't sell the beatdown for a second, as he and Scott then pose on the turnbuckles. Uh, this... Uh, I did not think this was a good match it, uh, it at all. It was, though. This was the best match of the night. So, great on a curve, you think this was the best? Of the night, yeah, because yeah. It, uh, there was some sense of storytelling. Okay. Um. Once again, I didn't get why. The only failure in storytelling here was mm -hmm. I don't understand why Franchise would put him in a match. Except for when Tony Schiavone said, oh, I would put my enemy against him. But it didn't look like he wasn't super strong. Yeah. Did he put him? He didn't even pick him. He didn't even do the the, the classic Scott Steiner picked the guy up over yeah. his head. He did that. He would do the, that to Jarrett later. He did that to the yeah. Jarrett. And so I'm like, well, it's no. weird. It's like because they wanted to both. They wanted their cake and eat it too. They want they they did they wanted to book this close to fifty fifty because they're both baby faces. Yeah. But they also, in doing so, hurt Scott Steiner because he didn't get to see him like the monster that so, he should have. Yeah, been. so I didn't get it. Yeah. And uh, but I will say, I I did see why you like Buff so much. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I did see he 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 does have some athletic prowess in his heyday. There's um, some there's some uh, charisma. That middle finger though, my, probably my favorite spot. Um, it just I didn't like. It. It's the best match of the night, honestly. If we're just looking at, from a talent point, it wasn't sloppy. Yeah. Um, guys were hitting their bumps. Guys mm -hmm. looked like they knew how to run off the ropes and were taking their bumps and selling. This was to, this is the best match of the night for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was kind of like a paint-by-numbers TV match, but for this episode of Nitro, uh, that is about as good as you're going to get. Uh, I thought both guys played their parts well. The thing that makes me take a point off of this match, though, is we only had one freak tonight. Like, I, I need uh, Shakira and Medeja, uh to fully give this match a uh, high mark. So since we only got Medeja, I'm, I'm going to have to knock a couple points off. Well, uh, I'm guessing that was his whole squad. Uh, yeah, well, Shakira's in the penalty box because of uh, she lost heart. She lost Hunter last week. She's got to learn a lesson. I forgot all about that. <laughs> wow. Yes, I forgot the story where Kevin Nash's nephew <laughs> is involved in our main event angle. So an hour and a half into the show, someone remembers to put the world champion on TV. Pamela interviews Jeff Jarrett about his Four Corners match. Double J calls it a conspiracy to knock him off the mountaintop. Jarrett then tells Hogan to get out of his walker and meet him at the Bash of the Beach. For being the chosen one, you know, Jeff Jarrett really never gets any preferential treatment here. Uh, I mean, I if they had maybe, it. if they had maybe, if the cat had said that Goldberg is in this match to protect him or something, but at no point do you get the sense that the heels want him as champion. I have no idea why they would want him as champion. This relationship makes no sense. He's just a shitty wrestler who gets no TV time. Yeah, because yeah, he's, he's talking about this conspiracy. And I'm like, who who is the one conspiring against him? Like, it's it's not Hogan in this case. If it was anybody, it would be the Cat and, by extension, Russo and Bischoff. We did get a, good, uh, we did get a great quote, though. Mm -hmm. Listen up, you blonde slap nut. <laughs> <laughs> honestly i'm gonna say that's progressive from jeff jerry because he didn't call her a lady slap nut he didn't say she's a female slap right, nut right. he called her a blonde slap nut so he didn't take her gender into account so i think that's pretty progressive it's a genderless pronoun slap nut i enjoyed it and i will be uh adding it to my lexicon <laughs> I, bring it back. I honestly don't doubt that. You're going to look on my Twitter soon. There's going to be a lot of slap nuts. 
We cut we cut to outside David Flair's locker room. Yes, David Flair got his own locker room at a show he wasn't booked to compete on. Or show up for Miss <laughs> Hancock walks out of David Flair's dressing room, fixing her hair because she and David presumably just came to Nitro this week to fuck. In a sign of the times, Daphne is shown spying from behind a Fruitopia vending machine. Shout out to that Fruitopia. <laughs> Yo, Fruitopia was great. Nothing like high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> In the arena, Miss Hancock comes to the ring. Hancock is in total Brazzers mode here, saying that it's tough for her to keep her clothes on. Madden jokes that he's already begun jerking off. Madden <laughs> Hancock then starts to strip, but she is attacked from behind by Daphne. This leads to an extremely sloppy uh, cat fight. These two have zero uh, coordinate, coordination at all. Hancock gets the upper hand. She does have the height advantage, and she exits the ring. Daphne gets the mic and says that she knows Hancock is trying to steal her fiancé. Daphne promises to ruin Hancock's life in return. Daphne then challenges Hancock to a match at Bash at the Beach. Daphne says she'll have Hancock begging for her Hooters job back. This was like 30 minutes left in the show. Why are we yeah. seeing that this late in the show? Yeah. I feel like this should have been... And it was been... back to back to back. They exactly. I feel like together. this should have been done way before. Yeah. This probably should have been the opening segment of the of the evening. Well, or maybe they realized, listen, uh, it's after nine. Everyone switched to Raw. We can, oh, we we can put this on here. Okay, guys. All right, guys. Everybody's watching Raw. Uh, <laughs> like Keebler out. Like Keebler out. <laughs> Backstage, Disco finds another... Uh, Backstage, Disco finds the other filthy animals licking their wounds. Disco says that he has a plan to capture Storm. We go back to the book signing, where Booker T shows up and asks Steiner to sign a brick for him. Booker then just beats the fuck out of Canyon and puts him through the table. Um, I can't complain about this. Uh, Nate, I am so excited that no-nonsense Booker T is here, because... This this a this time period in Nitro, we get Booker at a level of seriousness that I don't think he was ever allowed to display in WWE. Mm. Yeah, not only am I excited to see uh, you know Booker freed now, he he has uh, been emancipated from the misfits in action, but I could have used a lot more Booker on his damn show. Yes. Like I could have yes. used instead of uh, some of the stuff that was given TV time, like the Stacey Keebler Daphne segment, or like some of these tag matches that didn't quite click. I would have preferred a Booker T match or, or a, a promo, uh, have him come out and cut a promo on Canyon. I would have preferred more Booker T in the show. It's like you got this dude that's working so hard, and this is the only thing you give him on the show. It it kind of shows why the company was in the state they were in creatively. Booker T might be the greatest black wrestler of all time. Mm. Um, I mean, do you count The Rock? No. Okay. But even if I did, yes. he He's better. Mm-hmm. Like, if we're talking about... Mike in the ring, mm-hmm. sell stories, um, the eight his ring knowledge, yeah, like it, it was evident he knew what he was doing. Well, in and that if ring. you and the again, Rock looked out of places a lot of times, yeah, even in like those big matches, mm-hmm. like like I'm such a fan. I'm looking at where they're looking, you yeah. know, for spots, and you can always see Rock is like counting, you mm-hmm. know, and he's looking for his next spot. Where Booker, it was just it was just so yeah. seamless. Booker get in there and just he'll let those kicks go. He just knew how to play to the crowd. Yeah, Booker really is the greatest. He and he definitely deserved to beat uh, not just Triple H in that match. Oh, he, know, yeah. Even though I'm a Without Triple a H yep. fan, um, he deserved to wear the big gold. Well, which and, is and what I refer to, you know, the WWE yeah. Championship. He did, he deserved the big gold. If there was a black wrestler that deserved it, it was Booker T. And for the sake of I mean, obviously for that storyline, Booker needed to win, right, uh, even right. if he, you know, dropped the belt back two weeks later. Or the next for, night. For the sake of that 
of that story he needed to win. Um, but but and you talk about this, you know, spoiler, Booker's gonna be our champion in two weeks, uh, out oh. of nowhere. This is the first time? This is the first time, okay. yeah, when they when they when they hot shot his title win. And the thing that I love about Booker T that like he is serious and he's put mm-hmm. in a position to lead this company. Um and even in WWE, like, I mean the only time they ever gave him the title there was as King Booker. Uh, when he came in as the invasion, he's a he's a joke. He's called a rock knockoff. He's getting beat up in the grocery store by by uh, by the rock or by Stone Cold. And even in that storyline with Triple H, he's rever- he's like reduced to like a stereotype yeah. in that whole thing, and then doesn't beat the racist. You know, so it's like it, as good as Booker T is as a performer, and it was great seeing him in WWE. I still think his strongest work is yeah. what we're about to <laughs> is what yeah. we're about to see. Right now, right. Um, in WCW, hundred percent agree. And yep. if you guys can give me a playlist, <laughs> I think so, so I don't have to sit through you know random Monday Night Nitros. If you give me a playlist of things I can yeah. watch to make to get this, because I hundred percent agree with you. I I would have much rather not see Booker T in WWE. Um, like I, that's that's one of the main reasons I respect Sting. Yeah, but not go because hey. It's like with the uh, it's like when I tell people with the NWA story. It's like, hey, the, the 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 survivor gets to tell the story. Yeah, you know, you can feel how you want about the way Little Kim was portrayed in the Big movie. Mm-hmm. The survivor gets to tell the story. Same thing, Easy E. You might not like how that went down. The survivor gets to tell the story. So, yeah, you guys were in a ratings battle. You guys were taking shots at each other. You guys lost, and your guys came over for the check. Now, I do believe if Booker would have came over mm-hmm. during the beef, yeah. I think he would have probably been in a better place. Yeah. I'll co-sign the Booker T uh, respect because to me, that is somebody that earned everything he got. Like to me, Booker T is not somebody that had stuff handed to him. Yeah, you could say that, you know, they hot shot at the title, but it was evident if you watch these Nitros, who was there working the hardest? You know, it was guys like Booker, like Kidman, uh, like Lance Storm, like we're going to see over the next few weeks. But to me, he is somebody that never gets his full credit. And maybe it's because uh, a lot of our, our younger fans would most identify with him as that comedy character from the WWE or during his runs as a commentator or uh, the general manager. But Booker T was a dude that every night when he came out, particularly in this time period, there was effort being being displayed. And that's something that a lot of people on this show cannot claim because there's a lot of people that were showing up just for the check. And Booker and, and a few others were really the only people that felt as a viewer like they were out there trying to earn that money. And he was in really good shape. Oh, yeah, he looked great this at this time. Probably, this was yeah. probably the best shape I've seen Booker in. Mm-hmm. Like, this was a, a cut-up, muscular... No offense, it looked like he just came out of jail. He looked like he just came out of jail. Looked like he just came out of doing, you know, working out, you know, playing, playing spades, and the loser having to do a hundred push-ups. He looked very good. Like I was like, like though. First of all, him putting that brick down and then snuffing this guy was the greatest. I'm like, oh shit! I didn't see it coming. He was like, yo, can you for me? Bow. I'm like, I don't understand the beef here, but whatever, whatever side book is on, that's the side I'm on. Yo, to to be fair. Like Booker did, uh, Booker did just get out of uh, basic training with the Misfits in action, so it wasn't quite, <laughs> wasn't quite jail. But you know, he he had a, a good little stint as GI Bro to get himself in that in that ring shape. Yes, uh, so R.I.P. to Canyon, but it we, we appreciated watching you get snuffed out of your chair <laughs> and slammed through our table. 
Pamela asks Miss Hancock if she accepts Daphne's challenge. Hancock does so, but ups the ante by making it a wedding gown match. Pamela then sarcastically says that she can't wait to see this match. Terrible. Terrible. Disco give her the mic again. <laughs> Disco comes to the ring with a referee and challenges Lance Storm to a match. So this is a pretty straightforward approach that actually works, and Storm jumps out of the audience to accept. Uh, this, of course, being uh, 17 years between these two would engage in really weak Twitter beefs about uh, about the, uh, the WWE product. That's probably the most fun thing about watching these old Nitros, is just knowing where these people would go on to just, like... Any mystique they have here now is just gone. Is there this, right. these dudes on Twitter who host podcasts now? Um, I would I would disagree with the exception of Kevin Nash though, because to me Kevin Nash is the one guy who Twitter that has, has raised his stock. Yes, Twitter. He's the one guy who I think more positively about because of his Twitter presence. <laughs> Storm is working over Disco uh, from the bell as a light ECW chant starts. Storm goes up top but gets crotched on the ropes by Disco. Disco hits a neckbreaker for a two. Disco then whips Storm, who botches a sunset flip, yep. followed by a botched chin lock. Lance was not the one that I expected to be blowing spots in yep. this match. Storm goes for a dropkick, but Disco holds the ropes. Disco goes uh, to the second rope but misses a, an axe handle. Storm then hits a really impressive Frankensteiner for a two, followed by a Northern Light suplex for a two. Storm then locks in his rolling half-crab for the submission win. After the match, the, fil- the filthy animals run down and uh, beat up on Storm. Billy Kidman then runs down with a pipe for the save, revealing that he was the one that took out the animals. Kidman and Storm then shake hands, so... Storm is now part of the roster, and any traces of Kidman's main event heel run is just completely over. Um, I'm glad Lance Storm is here. Um, Wait, there was a main event Kidman heel run? Yeah, he just came off a two-month uh, uh, program with Hogan. Okay. <laughs> That's all that needs to be said about that. But yeah, I mean, that one big blown spot uh, aside, I thought that this was the best. Like, Storm looked great. I think yeah. he was the smoothest worker on the entire show. He didn't look like it this match, though. Not in this match, but I... How long had he been out of the ring up until this point? Oh, I mean, only like a, a couple weeks. Like, he was just an it ECW. Looked, it looked like he had been out the ring. Like, it looked like he was coming back from an injury. In his defense, of everyone who's in the Filthy Animals, I don't know why Disco is the one that he has a match with. I mean, I get it if you want the easy squash, but if you want this guy to actually look good, let him have a one-on-one match with Ray or Hoovy. Right, 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 right. Uh, Conan's not really wrestling at this time, but... Yeah, he didn't look like it. No, but he, like, yeah. He looked out of shape, yeah. And, and if it's... I think if it was supposed to be Disco, Disco should not have gotten any offense. This should have just been him working over Disco I, for I like Disco, 90 seconds. I didn't know Disco... I didn't know that was considered offense. <laughs> when, he <laughs> dropped, when he dropped that neck breaker? It was offensive. Yeah, it was offensive. <laughs> like, that drop ne- neck break, I was like, this is WCW. This is it. I want, I want a gif of him dropping the neck breaker. <laughs> like, he missed the entire neck breaker... Uh, Lance Storm takes the bump, and then like a whole half a second later, here comes uh, uh, Disco drop. Disco to, to the, the floor. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this, is, this is WCW for you. Uh, to be fair to Lance, though, he was out there wrestling in British Knights or, or Ruse or whatever, uh, kids. Listen, well, Ruse, they had a partnership WCW did. Listen, there was a lot of Gene wrestling that night. Yes. So, those sweatpants, I'm not giving him it. He did like he just escaped jail. Are you talking about those were jail sweatpants? Those were definitely. He was like in there with Booker. <laughs> Booker and Storm just got out. Oh, see, now, now we need to uh, remake a Shawshank with Booker and Lance. <laughs> and, and Booker playing the Morgan Free. You either get busy living or get busy dying, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so uh nate what do you think of this uh, anything you want to add about this match 
uh, just that I was always a big mark for that uh, that uh, rolling crab. Oh, uh, this great, one yeah. he did the half crab, but uh, uh, a lot of times he went to the full Boston crab from the roll up. And I was I was always a fan of that move because I forget which game it was, but uh, it was when the WWE. It might have been one of the SmackDown versus Raw games, or even then it might have just been like SmackDown, know your role. But uh, they they had put that move in the game. It was one of the new moves. And I used to, that was my go-to. I would be uh, Diamond Dallas Page, and I, my, my primary finisher was the Diamond Cutter. My secondary was the Roll-Up Boston Crab. And uh, <laughs> it was at least nice to see DDP get booked properly in the WWE, <laughs> even if it wasn't on TV. Yeah, he's a stalker. Uh, it's taken the entire show, but Dale Torborg has found the basement where Vampiro is hiding. <laughs> Torborg has to pretend to not see Vampiro standing in plain sight on top of a power generator. Vamp jumps off, jumps off and takes out Dale. Vamp then attempts to hang Torborg with a metal chain, but Torborg fights back. These two brawl around the storage room and take way too many bumps on concrete. Torborg then <laughs> swings a shovel but misses. These two then fight over to a coffin, as you would normally have in any arena, and Vamp super kicks Torborg into it. A masked man with a sting mask then hits Vamp from behind and puts the sting mask onto him. Afterwards, the announcers wonder who it could be, and Tony is convinced that this clearly had to actually be Sting, even though he was burned alive two weeks ago. Um, what a disappointing payoff. No, I don't even say disappointing. It wasn't like I had high hopes for this, but this feud just <laughs> continues to just suck. More and more. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think it can get lower, who but I was, know that it does. Who was it? That was Sting? Uh, I think eventually, yeah, we're, we're building up to Sting coming back, who's okay. only been gone for two weeks. And Torborg, what is the deal with him? Is he like a Kane character? Because kept, he kept saying, bring the demon with you. I'll, uh, Nate, I'll let you handle this one. All right. So uh, <laughs> uh, Kiss. Kiss likes to make money. Uh, and, and one of the ways Kiss does that is through licensing. And... The Kiss Demon was a character on WCW television that WCW paid for the rights to use. Uh, but and now he would dress like Gene Simmons. He would dress like Gene Simmons, and now he is a baseball coach uh, with the Florida Mariners, I believe. You mean the, the the Miami Marlins, Brian? Is that what they are? Yeah, if it's the Marlins, there. It's the Marlins. I, mean, I think you who are the Mariners? The, Seattle. Uh, that's okay. Seattle. Come on, I'm black and I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Pamela interviews the Florida the- Mariners. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those games from the 80s that couldn't get the MLB license. <laughs> like, the, this week, the Florida Mariners take on the New York citizens because they're not <laughs> metropolitan. It's def- yeah, it's definitely like a Pop Warner football team, football league name. Pamela interviews the Filthy Animals about the sudden Kidman-Storm alliance. Conan then challenges Storm and Kidman to a match on Thunder. Maybe the first time I've I've wanted to see something that was on Thunder. Uh, It is main event time. Four corners match for the world title. So even though everyone else in this match has already wrestled, champ Jeff Jarrett still has to make the first entrance. Nash's music hits, but we cut backstage to find that Goldberg has taken him out. So Jarrett and Steiner start this thing off alone. It's pretty much the same match we saw these two have last week. Steiner lands a lot of power moves and gets a side slam off the ropes. Steiner goes for a pin, but then Goldberg runs down. Goldberg, um... Goldberg then knocks out Steiner with one punch and follows up with a gorilla press slam. Goldberg goes for a spear in the corner, but Steiner moves out of the way. Steiner gets a belly-to-belly for a two, but Jarrett pulls the ref out of the ring. The audience finally accepts Bill as a heel, and they start chanting, Goldberg sucks. 
Goldberg and Jarrett work over Steiner as the announcers explain that Goldberg doesn't want to win the title, he just wants to hurt Steiner. Mike Austin then comes down to the ring and he steals the U.S. belt from Medasia. Steiner clotheslines Goldberg to the floor. Jarrett then attempts a Frankensteiner, but he gets powerbombed for it too. Austin then gets involved and he lays out Steiner with the belt. Nash hobbles into the ring and lands a side slam on Jarrett. Nash does all the greatest hits, snake eyes, big boot, choke slam. Jarrett, uh, Awesome runs in and eats a powerbomb. Nash sets up Goldberg for a powerbomb, but Jarrett makes the save. Goldberg then hits the standing, the standing sidekick on Nash, allowing Jarrett to get the pin. After the bell, Goldberg pulls Scott Hall's ripped up contract from his trunks and, top, and taunts Nash with it. Um... This match was way too overbooked. The fact that it's what the entire show was built to, I think it probably should have been a little bit longer. Um, it just really wasn't good. It's it, This felt like a four-way match where the four guys had clearly not discussed what the match was going to be at <laughs> halftime. Yeah, this match sucked. And uh, the, the most surprising part or the worst part that stood out to me was Goldberg just, like, attacked you in the back beat you up, mm-hmm. and then on top of the fact that you came out to rest, wrestle in, like, Jim Doug, uh, uh, Jim Duggan's, um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan's, uh, uh, dedication or memorial, yeah. Goldberg comes out. You don't pay him any mind. You guys are, like, literally sitting in the ring, not wrestling against each other. You're in there. Heel Goldberg is, like... Outside of the ring where he could sneak in and attack you. Yeah. None of this. They don't have any interaction for like three minutes. Mm-hmm. And then there's that weird portion where like Goldberg is like sitting on the second rope and then does that standing kick. Yeah. And then I guess Tony Schiavone just had to say, that's the move that took out Bret Hart. Yeah. Yeah. They've got to try to get it over in any way they can. This, yo, this was really bad. <laughs> it was not, it was not a good match. It was not four a good way to end guys, this. Four of WCW's top guys. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I got. I would have like maybe book one upset, like get Booker in there, you know, like maybe because right. it's it's this is a TV match. This isn't a pay per view. This doesn't have to sell anything. Um, the fact that you're getting a world title match is enough, you know, and to put a Booker in there would have been a lot if you had thrown Booker in there. Maybe Booker and Canyon both somehow get into this thing, mm-hmm. but to make four of your top main eventers in there. Um, yeah, not a not a decent. If anything, at the end of the day, this felt like a show that, for whatever reason, half the roster didn't show up for. And so it's like, That's oh fuck, we, what we don't have like. David Flair. We got to put Hacksaw on TV. All yeah. of our guys are going to wrestle twice. Yeah, this felt very. Uh, hey guys, uh, the the bus broke down. <laughs> you guys just got to go on TV without me. Don't don't forget about me. That's what this felt like. Yeah, this was terrible. It might have been worth going through it the second time. <laughs> I think the the only positive of this was every week one of the underlying themes that uh, Brian and I see, and it's it's almost become a game, not not uh, quite as uh, popular as the Hogan Bump Challenge, but uh, <laughs> it's it's seeing how little Kevin Nash can get to do yeah. in an episode of Nitro, and <laughs> as soon as Nash got taken out in the back, I was like, oh, there there it is. That's Nash saying, I don't want to wrestle this whole match. I just uh, kick back here and, and make my heroes return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it, it's crazy as it is. I actually think non-wrestling, you know, improv 101 Kevin Nash does more work. Like, yeah. when he was cutting that that Dr. Jellyfinger promo all the way, all the way back in January, Nate, I feel like yeah. he was actually 
is he's putting out some sort of effort to be entertaining. Whereas here he's like, oh, I'm the tall badass. I'll just stare and like flip my hair over occasionally. His hair was gorgeous. It was. It was good. It was as Nate has described, <laughs> Ann Coulter hair. Wow, that is that is true. <laughs> yeah, he was ready. For yeah, there's, there's one thing good that uh, Ann has going for is that those Kevin Nash flowing locks. So. <laughs> no, that, that Kevin Nash. I didn't remember noticing that. Like, mm-hmm. wow, his hair is really nice. Yeah. But outside of that, I didn't understand. And it, it was so bad that I was wondering, why the fuck was anybody a Kevin Nash fan ever? Like, because I'm like... Brian? I'm like... <laughs> I'm like I'll say as a kid, uh, the Diesel, like... Diesel, this is, this is who you were a fan of? I was never a fan of Diesel. Um, but as a kid, just like the, the big, cool guy that wins a lot. And we're not seeing it here, but like when he would just sort of be the irreverent ass who would just sort of kick back and make fun of everything else. Right. As a kid, that was funny. I can't stand it now. But as a kid, you know, fucking showing up and drinking lean for three hours in the front row is is a funny thing <laughs> to see on a wrestling show. All last night, I just wanted CM Punk to come and just blow this guy's quad out. That's all I wanted to happen every time I seen Kevin Nash. Well, that's the other thing. When I was at WWE, I got to work with Kevin Nash right. uh, during that program. Oh, so you're a paid guy. And that uh, that really uh, that really uh, reversed a lot of my opinions of the guy. <laughs> Being a co-worker of his. Uh, but Nate, what, what, how would you assess um, uh, this, this show in general? It, I, I wouldn't say that it was as decent as our first Russo-less episode, but still, I think this is better than like that that Georgia Dome episode we just did. Yeah, last week's show to me was certainly a better show than this one. Uh, I think this show just frustrated me because you could see that there there was space to do some really cool things. Uh, you know, we talked a, a bit about Booker. Uh, why wasn't he more of a presence on the show? Why didn't they give the matches with some of the better workers, you know, like a Young Dragons or like a Three Count? Why don't we put them in spaces where we play to their strengths instead of making everybody look like jokes? I, I think there was some good ingredients, but it's like an episode of Chopped. Like, when they give you that secret ingredient, it's up to you to make something of it. And the you know the, the presentation wasn't here the taste is a little bit off like it's food but i don't know if it's a restaurant i want to go to uh on a, on a weekly basis this uh uh terry taylor not quite mcdonald's maybe it's terry taylor's mcdowell's uh you know they got to go they got the gold notches we got the gold narc so I, I don't like this restaurant as much this week well, even though none of us really were over the moon for this episode, this is uh, where we have to pick our silver lining. That is one positive, unvarnished thing that we actually enjoyed. Uh, Mouse, I'll let you go first. What What was a silver lining for you on this episode? Booker T snuffing Ken. Yeah, that brick yeah, moment? That brick moment was just, <laughs> that shit was lit. That was fire to me. Like, just because I didn't see it. You know, it's one of those things where that felt super real, mm-hmm. and it, so it just was like, and I don't know what's going on, so it's like, oh, the break. We want to sign a break. Oh, this guy's a fan. Oh, he's just he's hitting him. Oh yeah. no, this guy's going through the table. So they had that Booker moment. Mm-hmm. So in any moment where I get to see Booker not be King Booker, I'm always gonna be a fan of. How about you, Nick? Uh, I think I'm gonna give my silver lining of the week to the Heimdall of the WCW universe, uh, and that is one Mi Smooth because. I like the interplay he had with Ernest Cap Miller. I liked, you know, him, you know, going back and shaking Shane uh, Shane Douglas down for a couple hundred bucks. I think, you know, he was a 
cool character, identifiable character, and he wasn't a stereotype. So I, I dug M.I. Smooth, and I would like to see more of him in the coming weeks. Yeah, hopefully we get a little bit more of him. I uh, I don't know. I'm happy. I'm happy that Lance Storm is now officially uh, in this company, even though he might have uh, dropped the ball a couple times uh, in the ring. Uh, I'm glad that he's here, and I'm I'm happy to see where uh, where that goes. Um, Mouse, thank you, you so much. Bring those sweatpants back. <laughs> no, he's got actual tights <laughs> next week. Uh, Mouse, thank you so much for uh, watching this episode and then reliving it uh, with us. Uh, I, I can see the turmoil that you went through, and I and I really appreciate it. Uh, now, if, if the listener wants more uh, Mouse Jones in their life, where can they find you? Not watching WCW. I'll say that much <laughs> right now. But you can find me on all social media at uh, Mouse underscore Jones, M-O-U-S-E underscore Jones. You can find my podcast uh the he-man woman haters club podcast on uh instagram and soundcloud and on youtube um he-man woman haters club everything spelled properly and uh yeah that's it that's you can find me there don't don't hit me up talking about wcw though i will not answer <laughs> there's people that do that on twitter and i do i i make sure I, I don't answer you like i make sure i don't like i go out of my way not to answer you Hey, Mouse, what do you think about me? I don't. I don't think about it at all. <laughs> I'm a WWE guy through and through, baby. And so wrestling started in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> and to the listener, thank you for completing another experiment with us. If you haven't already, please rate and subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. If you have feedback, send it on over to keepit2000pod at gmail.com. And if you want more of me, I'm at Brian Maxman all over the internet. Nate, uh, as always, going to throw it over to you. Give the people the good word to hold them over until the next trial. Yes, uh, again, thanks everybody for checking out this week's episode of Keep It 2000 and supporting the Satellite of Hate and all the shows here on the Post Wrestling family of programs. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at in the number 8 mozaik and I will happily field all the WCW questions that Brother Mouse does not want. <laughs> uh, you, can, <laughs> you can bring those my way. Um, and, and as I like to do every week on this show, I want to leave us with something positive, something uplifting. And uh, I'm going to take a bit of inspiration from uh, one Marshall Mathers to to leave us with a good word this week. Uh, and, and believe it or not, Brian, man, I actually started to miss Vince Russo. So, Vince, this goes out to you. No, you're not the first king of controversy, but you have got worse since you left WWE. You used pro wrestling so selfishly and used it to get yourself wealthy. Now, there's a concept that works. 20 million other whack bookers emerge, but no matter how many fish are in this sea, WCW feels so empty without V. Shit like this. this, this.